Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Good morning. Paula and Roberta are here. Good morning. Uh, afternoon for some of you all. Oh, look, I have my, my refrigerator with my big giant thing of cheese puffs in the background. Awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, you may notice our good friend Caleb is missing. Um, here, I'm over here so we don't have to stare at the, the refrigerator all day. Um, Caleb has uh, is sick. He's got a stomach stomach bug. So he is out today. So to all the folks who are listening online to Revolution Church uh, or on podcast, sorry if the audio is a little bit off. Uh, we don't have his expertise here this morning. So there you go. Um, we're back here at the Revolution Church Facebook page. Um, I think next week we're going to try to do it dual. So I think we've found a way that we can show the service on the Revolution Church page and on my Jay Baker page. So pretty, pretty awesome about that. Pretty so- awesome about, pretty stoked about that. Sorry, everybody. I'm exhausted. Um, you know, long, long, long weekend, long week with the kiddos. And man, we played a lot. Um, there's so many mud puddles here. My kids love mud puddles. So yesterday, I think my daughter took two baths and my son, I think, took three. Um, but also, it's like my kids love playing in the water. So it's been pretty fun. But yeah, so Caleb's not feeling well. So send him a message of love and hope and hope and prayers and all that stuff. Good vibes. Um, we are finally made it to Galatians 6, but it's not the last one because we're going to do another little, little, uh, brief best of kind of overlook of Galatians next week. So we'll do a seven part series on Galatians. Um, but this is our, our last, our last, uh, week going through the chapters Hope you all are doing well, feeling good, and taking care of yourselves in surviving COVID and lockdown. Um, I don't know about you guys, but it gets a little bit stir-crazy when uh, there's not that many places to go. But I know I'm, you know, I still have my weather alert on in Minneapolis, and so I see you guys are getting lots of snow, and it's really cold, and I'm sorry. I don't miss it. I don't miss the snow. I don't miss the cold. I'm sorry. I miss lovely people, but that's about it. Um, yeah, that's about it. So there you go. Um, well, let's, let's go ahead and jump into Galatians 5 today, um, or Galatians 6, I'm sorry. Not 5, 6. Galatians 6. Um, it's so funny. One of my old co-pastors, my buddy Matt, the Benedictus, I remember we were doing a Galatians study in Atlanta and uh, he's like, you know, we finished it up and we're done. And he's like, you know, you forgot Galatians 7. And uh, we both, I laughed because there is no Galatians 7. So, um, but the weather here is very nice. I see Robert making a comment, says he loves this weather. I'm glad you do. I'm, I have kind of, that's natural sunlight coming in there. Of course, everything's damp here. It's like just everything's constantly damp. It's like you need a, like, like Washington needs a, a dehumidifier. A dehumidifier, remember those that put in the basement? There'd always be one moth floating around in the water. Just me? Okay. Um, so Galatians 6. So as we go through Galatians, um, last week we, we kind of did, we did Galatians 5, which usually I do in two parts. We did in one, and that was like an hour and 45 minutes, and it was like, eh. Um, but I really dug it. I really had a good time with it, and um, I appreciated everybody's kind of like involvement and pushback. Um, 
we had a lot of, a lot of good conversations about Galatians 5. I, I think Galatians 5 is definitely a highlight in the study. Um, there's just so much there. And so Paul is dealing with right now, we're dealing with, you know, Paul is, you know, this is the thing that we've got to remember about Galatians is, you know, he's dealing with a community, a very diverse community um, of different races, different faiths, different belief systems. Um, he's writing a rebuke letter because a group of religious folks, old time religion came in town and said, you know, Paul's message of grace is, is trying to tickle your ears and make everybody happy. And, you know, we need, we think you need to be, you know, convert to Judaism and then to Christianity and you need to be circumcised. And, you know, so all this, this stuff that's coming in and that's the only way you can get to Jesus, like this mediator kind of thing in between. And Paul is saying, there is no mediator. There is none of that. You know, it's, it's, it's all about grace. Everyone's accepted. Everybody's one in Christ. And, uh, you know, and it's continuing to like kick back and say, you know, don't destroy each other, don't hurt each other. So it's really this great, great book of rebuke and kind of him proving himself and of grace. And I love it. I love it because there's so many, it's like, it's like a contradiction. Like this, the book of Galatians should not exist. It's, it's really a great book. And the way it is written is is one of these phenomenal things that we're lucky that we got it. We're lucky that it survived as long as it did. And so we'll just jump into Galatians 6 and, and look at this. Also, just a side note, I'm going to try to do um, Afterglow, but I don't know if it's going to work because I've got to get up here and touch this and go through everything, and I don't know how good I'm going to be at that, but we'll give it a, we'll give it a try because usually Caleb is behind me reading through the comments. You know, so we'll, we'll, we'll give it a try. You know, I'm a lone wolf today. Um, Galatians 6. Um, so Paul just got finished saying, let's not be consumed by each other. Let's not destroy one another. Let's not be envy. We talked about the fruits of the Spirit. And now uh, Paul is ending the letter here with, my friends, if anyone is detected in transgression. You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and take care that you yourself are not tempted. Now, I want to look at one right off the bat. Um, it's always been an important verse to me. Some of you who follow me online know that I shared this verse this week because I like to see what people have to say and get feedback. And I think it's a challenging verse um, because it's, I, I really like the New Living translation of it because it says, um, restore one another, you restore those who fall and restore one another. If you think you're too good to restore somebody, you're only fooling yourself, you're really a nobody. And I like that, that idea of like, you know, when we think we're, it's when we think we are something more than ourselves is when we don't restore. Now, one of the things I've realized through social media, especially, you don't get this this much from from communication in the real world. Um, that's because you just you know usually surrounded by your friends. Um, but the great thing uh, about social media is you get such a different types of people commenting on stuff. Um, and this is a good thing and a hard thing, and it's a sad thing because you also realize how many people have been hurt by the church and hurt by Christians and feel rejected um, by Christianity. But when you talk about restoration, people get uncomfortable. And it's like they automatically jump to the situation that is the abusive pastor. For some reason, that is the one that I hear. Well, you know, you're not going to put somebody back in their, their job as an abuser, are you? You know, we can't put abusers back in their job. And, and I feel like this is like a really bad misreading of, or a very bad understanding of the word restoration. But to be fair, 
I don't think the church really practices a lot of proper restoration uh, in people's lives and in pastors' lives. Um, so, you know, people think, well, we don't want to put them back in. Well, one is, is it's calling us to restore. And most of us aren't probably elders at a church. I guess I'm an elder here. But most of us are elders in the church. So most of us aren't in charge of doing that. So often when we're called to restore other people, it's not that we're going to call and put them back into the job, you know, but also the idea of saying, well, we don't want to put them back in, you know, we don't want these pastors to go back into places of abuse and be abusive or leaders, uh, you know, it, it, it often gives the idea that it's somebody else's job. Like, well, restoration's not my job. You know, that's not what I want to do. Now, when I went through my parents' fall, there was no group that came in and said, we do a restoration process. Like, we're going to restore your family, and we're going to help you get better, and we're going to make sure that you're wiser with money and that your marriage is better together. Or you know, Nothing like that happened. You know, um, The denomination was like, yeah, we take everything away from you. You take a year off, and then you start from scratch. Those were kind of like your two choices. Is like, you know, give up everything and spend a year doing nothing or try to survive and, with what you have. Um, but there's not a lot of uh, stuff. But So here's the two things is you've got people saying, well, don't restore them back into to, to power. Um, but in, by them saying that, one, they're saying they're not going to be part of that restoration process. You know, and they're dependent on the other church doing it. And two, um, they're missing out what restoration is. Restoration isn't getting your job back necessarily, okay? That's not the point of restoration. If you do something bad, it's not like, well, you're going to get your job back. Now, let me point out for me, personally, when I had my own mental breakdown, which a lot of you have listened through that and were there when I tried to take my own life, and I think a few weeks later I was back preaching, and that might have not been the best thing for me, but I did it anyway, but for me, restoration was paying good therapists and having a few good friends who believed in me and told me not to give up and to continue to do what I was doing. But also having therapists, like I had one therapist, she was really amazing. And, and I would, I always had worked out in my mind how I was going to fail or how I was going to screw things up. And I always was pretty good at that. And I was probably self-fulfilling prophecy where I just figured it out and I probably just walked into it. But so she would tell me, you can do better at this or you could do good at this. And I'm like, well, but what if this happens and this happens and that happens? And then she, one day she just finally said no. And I went, well, no. And she's like, just stop it. She's like, I don't want you to do that anymore. You always come up with another reason of why you're going to fail, why there's going to be another mistake, why you're going to lose approval. She, We're not going to have that conversation anymore. You've got to stop. And it was through that that I learned to start thinking differently and to train my mind to think differently and not run to the negative right away, not run to the I'm going to fail or I'm going to screw up. But it took time, you know, and it was a process. And I think we've got to realize is that most people who fail, most people who fall apart in the church aren't just, you know, evil pastors curling their mustache who just want to get their power back. You know, I mean... There's people in the congregation who fail and need restoration. But the thing is, is who is Paul talking about here? Well, let's look at that for a second. Paul, when he says, be restored, he goes, and then he makes it clear, be careful not to say, fall into the same mistake that they did. He is talking about what he, the group called the Judaizers who are coming and saying, we want you to be circumcised, do this and this. And the, he's talking about his enemies. He's saying, we've got to restore them with gentleness. And I love that. This is with gentleness. You know, because nowadays, like, I see so many, like, my friends, who I used to think mainliners would be awesome at the, the, the restoration process uh, and, and liberals if we could take over the church. But now it's like, those seem to be the people who are angry the most, you know, because they think every evangelical is going to fall and then become more powerful, like they're like Obi-Wan Kenobi or something. And, um, and, and, and so they're real reluctant, you know, like, oh, no, we got to be careful. Oh, no, we can't do this. You know, and so we're missing 
this key of that, you know, what Paul is saying though is like these people need to be handled with gentleness and kindness and love. These people who I am arguing about, who I just said I wish would castrate themselves, so Paul's not perfect either. These are the people that I want to see be able to be restored. But he's not saying they're going to be restored to their same place because obviously he's like, no, I want those guys who are fighting me to have a really good organization with, with really top leaders who want to destroy me. No, he's saying, I hope they come around to a new way of thinking. I hope they repent. You know, I hope that they can be a part of this community and they won't see Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You know, I hope we can get to that place and that can become part of the restoration. Restoration is a process. You know, um, I don't know why when we hear the restoration, and I think this is partially the church's failure of, of practicing good practical restoration, is the fact that people either think, well, the bad preacher is going to get back at the job and he's going to be mean and he's going to abuse more people. And so it's not my job and the church is failing at it and all they're doing is putting bad pastors back into leadership. I mean, that's the, what I hear when I throw out a scripture like that. Like a lot of ifs, ands, and buts, a lot of asterisks, you know, a lot of worry and a lot of paranoia about that's what's going to happen. And I think what we have to do in the church, if we want to see a reformation in the church, if we want to see the church change, is we have to also reclaim words like church or restoration or even reformation or grace or forgiveness. I mean, here is a faith that the simplest basic foundations are based on forgiveness, love, and grace, and hope, and loving others. So the love, loving yourself and loving others. Two biggest commandments, love self, love others as self. Giving forgiveness, it's all about forgiveness, and it's all about grace. And the thing that we don't know how to do is restore people, which is all forgiveness, love, and grace. We don't know how to talk about it. As a matter of fact, when it comes up in the church, people are afraid of it and are afraid that it's just going to get people who fell, rightfully so, to get back up. But it's just not that one-dimensional. You know, sometimes people fail because they don't have good accountability in their life. They don't have people who are talking to them. The community needs to be reformed. The community needs to be restored. Sometimes it's, you know, um, and you might need to look at yourself too. If you're a part of a church where your pastor is an abuser and you're staying in that church. Because honestly, even if you've decided and you signed up, unless you're an employee, you may lose money. But even if you signed to be a member of the church and you're, you're a real member and card-carrying member, you, that doesn't hold you contractually to stay in an abusive situation. You know, it, it doesn't keep you from writing a letter or going up and saying, I'm leaving the church, going to the board, going to the elder and saying, I'm leaving the church because I think this is an abusive, hurtful place. You know, we can learn to communicate. And, you know, you know, we don't have to tear the church down. We can communicate well. We can let other people know about it. But we don't have to become the lack of this. Now, also, like when my dad was in prison, my dad was the biggest Christian pastor, well-known evangelical pastor, televangelist in the 80s. When he went to prison, I can count on probably one hand how many pastors came to see him the first four years. I think the last year a few came out because they felt like they had to get in last minute, but like five. So there were not a whole lot of pastors who visited my dad on a regular basis. There was an amazing pastor in, 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 uh, in Minnesota, uh, Pastor Philip Shaw, and he was an Assemblies of God pastor. And he took my family in. He picked us up at the airport. He visited my dad on a regular basis. Um, when we worked on my dad's um, case to, to get his sentence reduced, he let me live at his house, let me work out of his office, um, he was an incredible guy, and I remember that quite well. Um, but there wasn't a lot of people reaching out for restorational reasons. They weren't like, you know, therapists visiting or heads of denominations visiting. Billy Graham visited once, you know, my dad once, and that's a story he loves to tell. But, you know, there weren't a lot of people there. Matter of fact, you want to know who helped my dad the most when he got out of prison? Someone none of us here really like, Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham got my dad a car rented my dad a house, and gave him a place to live. So if we're really worried about the restoration process, maybe we need to get involved in the restoration process. Maybe we need to be in the business of forgiving people and realizing that restoration takes time. It's not just about getting your job back. 
Some people, if restored properly, they will realize, I am not called to be in ministry. I mean, Mech, half the people who read Pete Rollins' books lead the church. Um, we'll just hand them a Pete Rollins book. Oh, you failed. Read this. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, people, if they're restored well, if they have good therapy, if they have good friends, if they have good counseling, they might go like, you know what? This job was killing me, and I was compromising because I was burnt out. You know, my marriage was falling apart because I was working too much. My children were going crazy because I never saw them. You know, th- th- there's all these different things that can take place within restoration where the person, if they're really healthy, might not want to even go back and put themselves in the similar situation. So I think we've got to get away from this imaginative thinking, almost like this comic book thinking of that when we hear the restoration, it's going to be all evil pastors who want their power back. That happens, but we also, we got to let it go. You know, there's people write books about it and do things like that. You know, I get it. Um, But we also end up scapegoating a lot of people because we think that way. Because then we automatically think that if uh, someone in power has made a mistake and falls down, that they're bad and they're evil. When we're called to show them grace and show them love and help them go through the complicated process of getting life back together, but helping them see that they've made mistakes, helping them understand how they can be better parents, better adults, better friends, uh, better leaders, and maybe they don't go into leadership. I know a lot of pastors who, 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 who fell out of the church and don't do it anymore. I know a lot of families that were destroyed because their families fell apart in the church and they were kicked out of their house and the congregation didn't want anything to do with them. And I know one family who lost their son who killed himself because he felt so rejected by his church family when that happened. Actually, I know two. Another one who had gotten AIDS and he felt like it was his family's fault because he got AIDS and the church was rejecting his father as a pastor uh, that he took his life because he was going to die anyway and he felt like he he brought shame onto the family. So we don't realize like when we do this stuff, when we jump in, like we just seem to choose who we want to love and who we don't love. And how do we do that based on a job title? You know, I'm not here trying, if I fail, I've got good friends. When I mess up, I do fail. I do mess up. I do make mistakes. You know, I've got a good group of people. I got a good board. I got a good guy who handles all our finances. You know what I mean? Checks and balances. But still the fact is, is, you know, I know I've got myself surrounded by people. I know I don't just surround myself with yes people. Um, You know, heck, I ask the congregation to push back. And when you do, I get excited about it. Um, so the idea is, is, so if we see someone fail, if we see someone hurting, if we see someone who's made a mistake and done something awful, we are called to restore that person, you know? And what the outcome comes out of that isn't up to us. That is that person. We can't decide what a person does with the love and the grace that we give. And I think the need for control and the fear of something really bad happening is, is, but I'll tell you what, it's, I find that the pastors who usually go back into the jobs and repeat the same mistakes and things like that aren't people who've been restored. They're just people who got knocked on their ass, nobody helped them, so I had to pull themselves back up and just work back into the same job because they didn't know what else to do and they didn't have anybody else to help them with that. So usually it's the lack of restoration in people's lives that cause them to go back and do these crazy things. It's not restoration, because restoration, there's accountability in restoration. It's really a beautiful process if offered. But I never saw that happen in my family's life. So if the biggest preachers in the world don't have that happen, and when they go to prison, no pastors visit them, even though that's part of what Jesus said, visit me when I'm in prison and when I'm sick and things like that, you know, we've definitely missed the mark. We're missing something. The church has become practiced, practices so much heresy, I really believe, and given into such a weird train of thought, and, and, and almost like a comic book thinking or a movie type thinking, that we've forgotten how to live life on life's terms and live within reality. And here's another thing, is sometimes if you go in to restore someone who's fallen, people will turn on you and hurt you and not want anything to do with you. But that's when leadership really hits it. You know, I remember when I was a kid, um, it was, I think it was um, Oral Roberts' son. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. Richard, Richard Roberts. He got a divorce, and it was a real big scandal, and everything was going on. 
Um, but my dad knew him and knew his wife and, 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 and spent time with them. And they talked a lot. And my dad said, hey, why don't you come host a couple shows, maybe get your feet back. Let's just see if this is something comfortable that you still want to do, you know. And so I remember my dad always being like, you know, people deserve a second chance. People do. And I'm not just talking about my dad, but I'm just saying that's where I learned this idea of forgiveness and restoration. Um, but restoration doesn't mean like, you know, I just hate that we have to jump to someone like Hitler. Like, oh, what, what about Hitler? We're going to restore Hitler. I'm like, no, that's insane. That's, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about also people in church. So restoration just isn't for pastors. That's another thing we've got to start thinking. Restoration is for people in the church, people who are bankers and people who are homeless. We want to restore them and help them get their life back together and help them get into homes. People who are drug addicts, people who are alcoholics, people who are, you know, are just going through life, people who suffer from depression, you know, the people in the pews, people outside of the pews, human beings. It doesn't have to be a Jesus thing. You can take restoration outside of religion and find people whose lives are going to broke and just love them and help them live life well. I mean, I, I feel like I got that from a couple friends. I mean, your friendship can change someone's life. I had so many people when I had my breakdown tell me that I needed to quit the ministry, just go get a normal job and take time off. And it took one little Irishman, Pete Rollins, saying, Ethel, mate, you're good at what you do. I'm like, well, I don't even know if I believe in God. It doesn't matter. The message of grace is powerful. You'll tell them anyway that you don't know if you believe anymore. He's like, you're transparent. You're good at what you do. Keep doing, live your life and live your life well. You know, and you're getting healthy, you're getting better, you're getting sharp, and as you get sharper, we'll, we'll, we can talk these things out. And I mean, it was a good friend who helped me get there, helped me, encouraged me to stay in the ministry. It was another good friend who was helping me go through my divorce, my friend Tony Jones. When I was going through that, he had been through some really rough times and sat down and counseled me and talked to me and things like that. And I know that sometimes people don't like to hear that name, but he was my good friend. He was there for me, you know. Um, people are not what we think they are. And I just don't like this fantasy idea of making everybody the villain. I just think there's rarely, really, I don't think any of these preachers usually start out or any of these people usually start out to be the villain. Something went along wrong along the way. And I think what we have to do is like, you know, when we see somebody who's maybe, you know, greed has taken over their lives, you know, just talk to them, you know. And sometimes we're not able to do that. But maybe our, the best thing we can do is not just sit there and condemn people all day. You know, what are other things we can do to help be restorative in people's lives? Like, have you guys seen preachers and sneakers? Like, these are people who are really, really successful. And I have such a hard time watching preachers and sneakers because it's just about preachers wearing expensive tennis shoes. Because all I can do is think about my rent. <laughs> Every time I see it, I'm like, that's my rent. Um, so I kind of just, like, try to ignore it now and, and not look at it because it makes me just angry but you know why am i angry because these people are successful and because i don't like the way they choose to spend their money i'm not i'm not on their board so there's not much i can do about it um and i think sometimes we just have to realize who in my life is suffering you know who can i focus positiveness on who can i focus grace on who can i focus who can i be gentle with today you know i can't be gentle with that guy because i've got nothing to do with their life i don't like the way it's turning out but you know what what i'm going to do is try to be something better in the world because honestly, I mean, do you want to be known of like, I don't want to be known like when I die, of like, oh, well, you know what? Jay was a great complainer. Jay was a great critic of Christians. Jay was a really great critic of politicians. You know, he just criticized the hell out of them, said how they should live and what they should do. And, you know, that's the one good thing is you could always count on him for a critical word about somebody who was fucking up. Part of my language, but it, it, I'm passionate about it just because I feel like I see so many people doing that nowadays. And I'm like, is this ministry? Is it just ministry where we just sit and talk about hor how horrible people are? I think it's in some ways I kind of like it because I feel like I don't have to criticize people as much anymore because they're getting criticized from everybody else. So I can kind of just go in and think differently and think well and do my thing. You know, I'm like, oh, no, their jobs of critics are full. You know, they've met their quota of critics, so I don't have to be critical anymore. Honestly, I, I think that way sometimes, like. You know, but then I come in and say some, try to say something nice or something different, and I get yelled at. So, oh well. That's only Galatians one, everybody. So I'm going to try to speed this thing up. I'm not. I don't have Caleb here to to zap me with my zapper when I go over. Gets it gets harder, everybody. It just goes back into more of what we're talking about. Okay, and two, it says bear one another's burdens. 
and this way you will be fulfilled the law of Christ. For those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. So it's saying we should help each other when we see people with burdens that they can't handle. With too much going on, we should help them. It doesn't say we should agree with them or that we should say, oh, you need to get somebody. It says we should go in and help them. I mean, this is the thing about investing in a religion called Christianity and being a part of it, is this is the parts of it. You know, uh, to me, they're not, it's not just, you know, we focus on so much other stuff and we just forget the, the, the central basics, the, the foundation of the things that drew people there and are told to, to be the foundation. And the only way we can stand, you know, is bearing one another's burdens, being in community, having hard conversations with people, you know. Like, I will also say that the restoration also has, plays a part in telling people hard truths, Okay, so that's another thing is you tell them the damn truth, you know, and you don't have to tweet it then. You don't have to subtweet it or whatever, you know, like call it or sub Facebook it. You know, you just tell them the truth. Listen, you're missing the point here. One thing I loved about I love about my relationship with Pete Rollins is like when I was going through my divorce, I'd be like, oh, my ex, blah, 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 blah. And he'd be like, well, Jay, but don't forget you did this. You know, I mean, he was not the American friend, as I like to call him. Like, you need to be more like an American friend where it's like, yeah, she's awful. Yeah, that person's horrible. You know, he'd be like, no, well, Jay, what about this? You did this. Oh, I don't like hearing that. You're supposed to be agreeing with me. You know, but no, it, it, you're right. And I need to take responsibility for that. So restoration is also telling people the truth when they're going through it. It might be telling them when they're ready to hear the truth. Or you could try Pete's method of just telling them the truth whenever you feel like it. Um, ripping that old band-aid off. No, but seriously, telling the truth is part of it too. Is saying like, this seems a little screwy. This thought seems a little screwy. This belief system seems a little screwy. You know what? And they might say, screw you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't like what you're saying. But you know what? You said your piece. And there's a part of that. We just got to live with it. You said your piece. You don't have to go talk about it anymore. You've done what you can. You can't control the other person's life. The only person you can control is yourself. You know? Well, I don't want to control anybody's life. Well, then stop talking about it. I challenge you to stop trashing them then. You know, I understand when we're trying to hold politicians accountable and we're trying to say things and have conversations. I'm not saying we don't do that anymore. But I'm just saying we just just think about this stuff when we're thinking about restoration. Because being a fallen minister isn't a reality for everybody. But for me, it was what I grew up in. You know, hearing preachers, you know, talking about how evil my parents were when I was just trying to go to church to meet friends, you know? So I'm like, it's a reality to me. It hit me. I saw it, you know? I'm one of the few of those people, you know? And a lot of people would say that my dad went back back to what he did and has, does it even worse. I mean, I know a lot of you think that, you know? I struggle with it, you know? But again, I'm going to tell you, there was no proper restoration. Some of these leaders are actually really great leaders and know how to work a crowd, know how to deal with people, know how to build things. They just need people there to help them be healthy when they do it. The problem is is when we all just abandon ship, now they're even less around people and now they're going to create something else with more people. Who, who, you know what I'm saying? Like if restorers don't come in, the work doesn't get done. Uh, the Bible talks about how beautiful are the free feet that bring the good news. Well, the good news is, hey, man, you're screwing up, but there's hope and you can do this better. There's, you can find self-acceptance. You don't have to build buildings in order to have God love you. You don't have to have a $10,000 $10, congregation member. You don't have to have the newest sneakers in order for people to accept you and love you. you know? Capitalism isn't the key here. You know, matter of fact, there's a lot of problems with capitalism that have, have caused so much suffering in this world. Hey, let's look at that. Hey, here's a book I have on it. So restoration is a process. It takes time, you know, and it doesn't, it's, it's not soft and squishy. Grace isn't just soft and squishy. Grace helps you face the harshest realities. The thing is you're facing these harsh realities, but you're also knowing I'm accepted no matter what. And so that doesn't matter. Yes, I need to hear these things because I need to grow and I need to change as a human being. I need to be a better adult. I need to be a better pastor. I need to be a better friend. I need to be a better, better employee. I need to be a better whatever, you know, so I need to hear these things so I can learn to live life on life's terms. And man, it took us so much. It took me to where I was 42 to finally just accept myself as accepted as I accepted me. I knew Grace accepted me. I knew a lot of my friends accepted me. 
but I could not accept myself until I got into my early 40s and had a therapist just hit and nail me and not a therapist who was a pastor or a Christian or anything like that it was just making me deal with the re- face the realities the, the horrible things that I said to myself and so it took me to have to pay a therapist to get really restored and to live a life where I'm happy and I do what I love and I feel confident in that most of the time there's sometimes those old demons come back so bear one another's burdens so think about different ways we can do that you know helping the homeless Helping the less than, marching with our friends in the in Black Lives Matters, and different things like that, uh, making people know we support them, listening, picking up the phone, um, holding our tongue sometimes even, uh, not saying being an asshole, um, <laughs> you know, giving somebody a ride. I mean, there's just these little things that we, I think we don't realize are just these are the parts of picking the British everyday life, you know. So, I mean, every now and then I'll get somebody like, like on Twitter, I have a, a friend who, I've, who, who I met on Instagram and she's a musician and she's really cool and, and she just wrote some really nice stuff about revolution and what the church was doing. I mean, it felt like a million bucks, you know? I mean, I just felt like, oh, wow, this makes me want to continue to do it because she was saying, this is what I'm getting from it and I'm going... That's what I was trying to talk about. That's what we're trying to do. You know, I was like, oh, okay, so we're trying to, what we're trying to do is actually being effective, you know? And it was like, it helped me carry a bit of a burden because it made me feel like my, my words weren't falling on deaf ears. You know, it was really cool. Not that I think that with you guys, not you guys. Um, so if you're, if you're nothing and you think you're something, you're only fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourself when you think I'm too good to restore them or I'm too good. Oh, they're evangelical. I'm mainline. Oh, I'm mainline and they're evangelical or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they're conservative. Oh, they're progressive. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're that. You know, we're all humans. We all are humans and going through this together, you know? And it's so funny how we always figure out to have a group to hate. And, you know, go, oh, that group doesn't deserve to be hated. That's horrible. How dare, These people chose this group to hate. Well, guess who I'm going to hate? The group who hates them. We always find a group to hate. And then we act as though, what, me? No. I'm fighting for righteousness. That's why they're such horrible, horrific monsters. No, they're not monsters. They're human beings who are confused and have been given misinformation and need your help. Who's going to restore them? You know, I put up this thing about, you know, uh, this quote about um, learning to talk to people you disagree with. And even that, people are like, I don't know. I don't, what, what if they are abusive or what if this? And I'm like, I'm not saying you go talk to your abuser. I'm saying we learn to just talk to people we disagree with. That's the thing is we just are so reactionary. We just jump to the worst case scenario and not realize like, oh, you know, here's somebody who likes a different type of art than I do. I mean, start there, you know, or doesn't like the same type of music. I mean, you can start little. But, you know, if we want to change people, we're going to have to go into their lives. I, I honestly feel like we can do more through having conversations than we can. Th- I think protesting is important, but I think what really happens is when we go in and we talk to the leaders and we sit down and we have conversations and we have are forced to recognize each other's humanity. I think that's what makes a huge difference. I really do. I really believe that. And that's what I've read and, you know, that's what King has taught me. All right, we'll go on so we can get through this. I like this. Must, because it kind of gets a little bit, like now we look like it's almost a contradiction that we're running into. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Which I love it says we've got to carry each other's burden and then it says everybody's got to carry their own loads. Now I think Paul is, might be being cute here and I like this idea is that he's saying basically like, Carry one another burdens, but guess what? Most likely, people aren't going to help you carry your own burdens, so we all got to carry our own loads. The fact is, is the bad news is nobody cares. The good news is nobody cares. You know what I mean? It's like, so be don't expect for other people to help you carry your load. Don't expect other people to help you with your burden. If that happens, count yourself blessed. Count yourself lucky, you know? Um... But we do need to be prepared to carry our own loads because right now human nature is that of that not everybody really wants to help you carry your own burden because also they're dealing with their own shit and they got a lot of burdens too. And, and you know, they might need some help as well. So maybe you two can just 
carry each other's burden next to you. You'd be like workout partners. Um, but I love this. It says, all must test their own works. Then that work rather than their neighbor's work will become a cause for pride. And you see what I'm saying? Like, test your own works. Like for me, when I, I was looking at all these, I remember the first time, I, I'm gonna go back to the preachers and sneakers thing and I saw this and I was like, oh, look at that bastard. That bastard's got like $3,000 tennis shoes. Yeah, that's like two months rent right there. What's going on, you know? And, and, and then what I realized is like, I found a way to criticize people who do what I do, but at a much higher level of success. They're really successful. Now, I don't, I lucky I like Dickies and Vans and, you know, I, I do, I do like, a le- there's a leather jacket that I really, I've got that's really expensive. It's a Shots leather jacket and it's my favorite thing in the world um, when it fits. Um, but point is, it's like I was finding a way to tear down somebody else and feel good about it and finding, finding a way to justify it. You know, like someone who's more successful at something than me. You know, maybe I could sit down and have a conversation. And I could be like, hey, how do you raise funds and how do you manage money? Also, do you think that, you know, you might be a little incensed, like you're wearing these shoes that might send a different message out. You know, maybe we could have that conversation, you know, and learn from each other rather than me just be like, you know, because what it's allowing me to do is I'm not focusing on my own self. I'm not focusing on how to make revolution better. What I'm focusing on is being jealous over somebody because they have nicer shoes than me. And because I, I have some sort of convictions that these certain people shouldn't have nice shoes, but who cares what shoes they're wearing, to be honest with you. I mean, what, 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 what are they doing? I'm making it about them. It's no longer about me. And I think a lot of people do that. I think we become extremely critical of others is because we're in so much pain. Because we're hurt, we're suffering, and if we focus on other people, we feel less pain. It takes, it takes the focus off of ourselves and puts it onto others. And we feel so critical of ourselves that we don't know what to do with that criticalness, that, that pain, with that anger, anger. So we release it through fo- focusing on other people and not focusing on ourselves. And so at the end of the day, it makes us feel better about ourselves. But as a horrible way to live, it's not practical, and a lot, a lot, a lot of people do it. And it is it's self-soothing. It is a, um, it, it's a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. So we're all using these coping mechanisms of, 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 of focusing on others. And it says, focus on your own works, and then you have something to be proud about. You know, focus on what you're doing. Don't focus on what the other person's doing. You know, I mean, I see these in memes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Like something in a cool meme, written in a cool way. And then I see it in the Bible, and I'm like, oh, isn't that precious? It's telling me to worry about myself. And I just let it go because somehow the Bible in my mind is also sometimes precious rather than extremely vital and important. But I think Paul is a philosopher. I think Paul is a brilliant human being. And I think he's an extremely flawed human being as well. But the idea is, is, if we learn to focus on ourselves, become comfortable with ourselves, build ourselves up, get the help we need, be good friends to our friends around us, um, we won't have to vicariously live on this throne of judgment that somehow makes us feel better about ourselves. Because what you're getting a clue into is when we do that kind of stuff, you're getting a clue into that. Remember earlier where we said, oh, I don't want to put that evil pastor back into the position. Well, with that evil pastor that you're thinking of is just a big, insecure person who probably had a horrible childhood and is trying to cope using a coping mechanism through really good leadership skills. And so what they do is they're fighting their demons on stage and hurting other people because they're, they're yelling at themselves, but they're hurting other people while they're doing it because they don't know how to face themselves. So that's what you're seeing. And what we're doing when we're down here being our little critics, we're just doing it on a much lesser, smaller level, you know? It's amazing to me, like, we've got to trust the person, got to trust the victim, blah, blah, blah. And I, I was listening to this about the pastors hurt, being hurt and stuff. And so I came in to have this conversation with these people who were talking about this. I said, well, I went through it. My parents did something, you know, and they fell apart. And I went through all this. And, and this is what I experienced. And they're like, oh, your voice isn't really needed here, Jay. But the idea was, like, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not a victim because I was the son of or a part of something. You see what I'm saying? So we just, we just really pick and choose who we want to see and how we want to see them. And I like that Paul's saying, learn to focus on yourself and work on yourself. You know, because if we're healthy, if you feel self-confident, you'd be amazed when you accept yourself. I don't even say self-confident because I'm not the most confident person in the world. But I'm happy being a 45-year-old punk rocker who barely makes a living doing church, pastoring a church, and lives in Seattle and is raising his kids. I like that now. And people tell me I need to do this or do more of this or do this. And I listen, but sometimes I just take it with a grain of salt. You know, because I feel comfortable finally in my own skin. And it's funny how many things I don't care about now that I feel comfortable being me. 
that I feel peace in my own life. And I really highly recommend I took DBT, Dialectic Behavioral Therapy, and I highly recommend it. I don't recommend you go to church to learn this stuff. Go find a really great therapist if you can. I don't have, I don't have uh, med- med- medical care right now. I don't have insurance right now, so I'm not seeing anybody. But if, if you do have insurance, take advantage of it because um, it really helped a lot. Um, so think about it. It helps. Um, anyway, focus on yourself, build yourself up. I'm almost done here. We're going to get through this a little faster. I'm sorry, everybody. I I know I'm just, I don't have Caleb to discuss anything with me. Those who are taught the word must share it in good things. Oh, those who are taught the word, like if you're being taught, must share in all good things with their teacher. So, you know, I don't use a lot of scriptures saying support your church, but here's one right here. <laughs> that if you're taught, share good things with your teacher. So you don't have to share it with me, but if you, if you donate to the church, we could use it because it keeps us going and allows us to have these talks and these conversations. And hopefully when COVID ends, we'll actually have a physical church as well. Um, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow your own flesh, you will reap corrupted from the flesh. But if you sow the Spirit, you will reap eternal life's fruits from the Spirit. Now, that sounds really scary, but if we go back to look at the fruits of the Spirit and the things that are opposite to the fruits of the Spirit, like uh, dissension, idolatry, factions, strife, jealousy, things like that, what it's saying is, is when you do these things, when you're constantly just putting out bad news, you get it. Have you ever seen like a group of people who just love to gossip and gossip and gossip and, and, and tear the other people down? And then, like, when they run out of people, then they turn on each other. You know, you'll sometimes see this with, like, Facebook groups, you know, and and they'll have somebody they really don't like. But then all of a sudden you realize that they start to hold each other up to this, like, really high standards, and they start to turn and hurt each other. You see it in the church all the time. You see the church turn on each other all the time. And and that's a really tough thing to see and do. But it's funny that, like, so when we're sowing these bad things, you know, we don't think they're going to come back to bite us. But then eventually they do. You know, and, um, you know, that, that's a good sign. The fruits of your work are a good sign. The cause and effect of your works and what you're saying and what you're doing is a good sign of how you might want to think about your life and what, what your life is producing. Um, you know. So let us not grow weary of doing what is right. So, I mean, Paul knows this is something that's tough. Paul is saying... You know, you guys are being fought tooth and nail right now to live life in grace and to be in freedom, you know? And I want you to love these people and hopefully even help these people, but I also want you to be able to focus on yourselves and and not let these people overwhelm you. And don't get tired of doing what's right. Don't get tired of showing grace because there does come a time where you just want to be like, screw it, you know, and you just let go on somebody or you let go on something or you just give up. And, uh, And Paul is trying to encourage, like, don't get tired of loving others. It's a tough job. And that's why he needs to say it. It needs to be said. It is really tough to love other people. It's really tough to care for other people. Um, you know, especially people who are, who are struggling with their mental health. You know, I mean, the church is full of people who are struggling with mental health issues, you know. Who else decides, like, hey, God became a carpenter? Hey, this sounds like a great idea. Let's all get together and hang out and talk about it. <laughs> um, So then whatever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all. And especially for those in the family of faith. So I'm going to just say, for me, I won't even just take out the family of faith. Just say, let's work good for, the, for all, you know? And I guess what he's saying maybe is the family of faith is he means your community because he's like, make sure you're in a healthy community. Because if you're in a healthy community, you're going to be healthy. So work for that good, and then you all can work for the good of others. I love that about Malcolm X, is when Malcolm X, you know, goes through this journey in his life where, you know, when he, he, he joins the Nation of Islam, and then he just starts to become more inclusive and more inclusive and more inclusive, you know, as he goes on. But even at the end when he's like, you know, all people can be of this faith, he's like, but we're going to have this organization that white people can help us with, but they can't join. What? And he's like, no, but they can't join because we need to work on ourselves right now as a community. 
We need to make ourselves better as a community. We need to be healthy before we can be together, before we can all be together in community. And I thought, wow, that's really a mature way of seeing things. I think Malcolm X said a lot of really harsh truth. He gave a lot of really hard truth. But I still think it's truth, and I, I think it's good. And I think sometimes, you know, like, honestly, I, I feel like if I could just be like, all right, everybody in the church, you're not allowed to apostatize anymore. You're not allowed to go out and get converts. For another year, you all have to just focus on yourselves and work out your stuff. And, and, and then maybe next year, then you can work with the other denominations, but you still only have to be in the Christian community because you have to work on yourself because this has to become, the community's not healthy. What are we going to do to become a community? And maybe after that, we can start talking to people again. You know, maybe it's time for us to focus on ourselves and figure out what the problem is and why we're, why, we're, why we're doing more damage than good or why we're doing so much damage. Maybe not more damage, but why we, why we damage people so much and hurt them so bad, you know? Why we, we hurt each other so bad. Why we can't practice the foundational message of our faith. How does that get lost in, in, when it's not even barely theology because it's just really black and white and really clear that it's the almost thing, it's almost the only thing you can take in the Bible at a sixth grade understanding and just go with it. People want to understand why was my mom who she was? Why is Timmy Faye who she was? It's not because she was a theologian, it's because she believed that you, she was supposed to love God with all her heart and equally as important as her neighbor, ever say, as, neighbor as herself. So she just really believed Jesus loved everybody. She really believed that that's what she was supposed to do. She was supposed to forgive because she wanted to be forgiven. That was just her life. She just grasped the basics, and she became a great human being and an icon in a lot of communities because she just stuck with the basics. So I'm not going to say, like, if you want to be a fundamentalist, make loving your neighbor and, and loving yourself as your fundamental belief system. That would be a good fundamental to have. Because, um, man, I, I sit down and talk with theologians a lot, different theologians. I'm not a theologian, but I sit down and talk with theologians. It's funny because they've law that this doesn't ever usually come up in our conversations. You know, just the basics. You know, all that. You know, we get so obsessed with all, like, figuring all this other stuff out that we just forget, like, the really important thing is that we're just really nice that we're loving and that we care about other people. Like, we forget that that's important, you know? And uh, I hate that, you know? I, I don't like that a lot, you know? Or that we find people who aren't doing it so we can treat them like shit just so we have a group that we can despise. It's like, I just don't think that that's what the religion of Christianity has called us to. I don't think that's why people like Hegel were drawn to Christianity. I don't think that's why people like Brennan Manning or Martin Luther King or... People like that were called to Christianity. Paul Tillich, you know, I, I think they saw something beautiful and they were able to expound on it. Anyhow, almost done. So whenever you have the opportunity for good, do so, especially for those in the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I write this in my own hand. It is those who want to make good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying, the people who want to be you circumcised, the people who want to control you in the church are trying to do it because it reflects them because they need to be told they're doing a good job because they're insecure. So they want to make people do what they say so somehow that will meet a lack in them, fill what they think is, fill the lack in them. And, and, and that's their coping mechanism is to control others. See what I'm saying? Like, there you go. It, it, that's their coping mechanism, and they're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it, to, you know, for you. So even for us, when we're trying, people are trying to control us. It might be good for us to take a step back and leave and go, man, that person's really sick, you know, because that's what they need in order to feel good about themselves. Like they can't accept themselves. They have not received grace. They have not. They may. They've been given grace, but then they kind of pushed it away. You know, they they didn't receive it because they're not they're not finding peace in themselves, they're finding peace from controlling others. And that's what Paul's saying here is like, these people are controlling you so they feel good about themselves. When I started off as a young pastor and I you know people from my church were out partying and doing all this stuff, I was always like, oh, everybody's gonna think my church is the crazy church, you know? Because I was worried about how it reflected on me. And then one day I just stopped worrying what other people thought. And I stopped worrying if people didn't come back. You know, like, I mean, I worried if they were alive or they were well. But I wasn't offended. I didn't take it personally anymore, you know. And so I, I think if we can encourage pastors to grow and mature to the point where they don't feel the need to control anybody, you know, 
They don't need to call anybody in and be like, we heard you were out smoking at the McDonald's, you know, whatever. When you could, that was, that ages me, I guess. Um, to be Even circumcised do not them, uh, themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. So it's saying, you know, he's saying, yes, these people are hypocrites. They want you to do this so they can boast about how good you are, even though they don't do it. You know, they can boast about how humble and, and meek and loving their group are when they're not doing it. You know, I'm busy out buying my, my new Air Jordans. You know, I don't have time to <laughs> do it, but you should meet my congregation because they are swell. You know, so I just think critically about this stuff. Um, I'm just moving fast because we've got to go. Paul says, May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which these, by which this world has no, has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And it's funny when you hear things like I, I've been crucified to the world. You know, a lot of us were raised in evangelical churches, so we think that means I've been crucified to, you know, not listening to rock and roll music, or going to the bars, or, you know. But what it's saying is, is like, and I've been crucified to the world. He's like saying, like, just some of these things don't drive me insane anymore. You know, some of the, I'm trying to focus on human problems and human issues. Uh, the gossip doesn't get me going anymore. The tribalism doesn't get me anymore. Paul fights against tribalism. So that's just who Paul is. And so he's saying this, this tribalism, the us and them thing is not what gets me anymore. That's crucified. That part of the world to me is gone. So it's actually a deeper look. This is someone who wasn't a shallow thinker. He wasn't a fundamentalist. He wasn't you know, thinking the shallow thoughts. These were deep thoughts, and we've got to take a deeper look at why this letter was written, who it was written to, why, you know, what the words say, because that's what's important, is not just taking it at a face value idea of thinking, well, he's just talking about, you know, rock and roll or things like that. No, he's saying, my interest in this world died long ago. Like, some of this gossip, some of these tribalism, is just, it doesn't, does not affect me this way anymore. You know, I want us to be a community of humanity. I can't cover enough of that. This is only one sermon, so please don't jump on that if you think that I said something wrong there. Um, For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow the rule, peace be upon them and mercy upon them, Israel of God. From now on, let no one make trouble for me. Sounds like a good dude. (laughs) I don't want any more trouble. Don't let any make trouble for me. For I carry on the marks of Jesus as branded on my body. And so what Paul is saying is like, listen, you guys do this, but you know, you think I don't believe in this, you don't think I care about this, but you don't know what it's cost me to stay in it, to be a part of it. And I think that's another thing that gets me crazy sometimes is that we don't know what other people have been through. We don't know the hurts and the pains that they carry with them, you know? Um, we don't know what's made them dysfunctional, you know? And if you really cared about the victim, what you might, it's like we care about the victim until the victim learns to use coping mechanisms. And then as soon as the victim learns coping mechanisms, they become a jerk and an enemy and an ass and someone we're fighting against, you know? So when you say all victims matter, then you must look at these people who also have these horrific coping mechanisms because they are victims who are trying to survive and have developed mechanisms in order to survive and to hide their pain. So everyone really in this life and in this world have some way been a victim to another. If that's what you want, harsh truth, that is the harsh truth. Those who make victims were once victims. So now you're just picking you're just picking based on time, on timing. You know, it's like Christians who don't believe, like believe abortion is a sin, but not the death penalty. But that's just based on timing, you know. It's like pro-lifers who don't care about health insurance, you know. You know, it's that type of thing. Like, oh, you know, screw them. They don't deserve health insurance. They need to stay alive. I mean, it's going to keep people alive. People die because they don't have health insurance. Aren't you pro-life? You know, it's not a political thing. It's just common sense, you know. So it's like saying like only victims who are new victims or victims within I, that I agree with or that I can see or that I can, that I can feel for are truly victims. And if you ever watch things about serial killers and you watch the way those people grew up, it's horrific. 
I mean, there's some real horror stories uh, that none of us could survive through. And their coping mechanism became horribly instructable, horribly evil, and horribly painful to others. So the world is complicated, and we're all full of contradictions. And so there aren't any simple answers, just simple thinkers. Paul ends with, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with your spirit, brothers and sisters, amen. So there we go. We'll wrap up. We'll cover kind of like an overview of Galatians next week, but that was the study. I'm going to try really, just for a few minutes since I went so long, because I went an hour, but I'm going to try to read a couple comments. Let me see if I can do this without Caleb here. Okay. Well, this is sad that no pastors visited him for so long. What a statement of the church. I guess, thank you, Steve, talking about my dad. Yeah, that was kind of a thing. One thing that I don't think any of us uh, read in comment from Bob. Bob, my good buddy, amazing man. He's got a hell of a story. Um, you'd never think he would say, wow, Franklin Graham, amazing. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. You have to know Bob, I guess. Bob's great, though. Um, Someone wrote about the church. Yes, this affects the family. The effects on the family is huge. In our situation, we weren't interested in going back into leadership, but just to talk to some, to some care show would some to talk to some or some from care would show would have been very healing. Explain to our young kids why people were were close to no longer, or why we're, we're so close or no longer in touch with us. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, here's someone who was in ministry and is saying, like, it would have just been nice to, for my kids to have closure and to be there. You know, we didn't want to go back into power. We just wanted to communicate and still be friends, you know? And um, it's really sad when the church says, well, we can't be friends anymore. I mean, we don't, I, I there's not a lot of doubt in the Bible about excommunication, um, some people say, um, well, when, when someone sins so many times, you're to, t- to treat them like tax collectors and prostitutes. But I'll ask you this then. Who did Jesus hang out with the most? Who was Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. And we know that Jesus hung out with prostitutes. We don't know if Mary was actually a prostitute or not. But the point is, is who did Jesus hang out with? So when it says treat them like this, he's saying treat them as though you're pursuing them and showing them love and grace. And that's, it's obviously, if it's coming from Jesus, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, treat them like that. And those people are all sitting at the table with him having dinner. Treat them as people that you have a covenant with and you still desire to be with in relationship with. I really believe that true. Some people might think that's gymnastics, but I believe it's true. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. So glad to hear. Healthy Jay. Yeah, Pete Rollins got a thanks. Yeah. He doesn't need that. His head will get big enough. Um, just kidding. People often put pastors in the unrealistic light of perfection when the reality is leaders in worship need the biggest prayers of strength because they are under such attack. You know, and that, and, and in a lot of ways that's true because, but the problem is often the pastors will separate. I mean, I remember I was told as a young minister that people were like, separate yourself from the congregation so you seem a little bit more holy than you are. I mean, that was really the reason was like, so you just seem like you have it together because you've got to be this conduit for them. And then one day I just woke up and said, that's bullshit. There's no way I'm going to do that. You know, I'm under a lot of pressure, um, but I'm going to share that with them. And when I screw up, I'm going to share that with them because I think it's, if you give some people, people will think they're failing constantly if they think you somehow reached enlightenment and they're going to try to reach that enlightenment. But I'm like, yeah, but you don't see me the other six days a week. You know, you don't see what I'm dealing with. You know, you don't see my moments, doubts, and pains. So I feel like if I'm not completely transparent with you here about it, then I'm uh, doing a disservice. <laughs> God does not need corporate jets, you pious fools. No, Bob, but we will take one if you'd like. I will sell it to pay the bills, but yes, we'll take in that form. I, I don't know, I'll have to find a jet salesman. Um, just listening to someone, even if you don't agree with them, is one of the best things to do for someone. I... I agree with that. Your mom led that led the way with that interview with me. Yes, she did, Steve. That was amazing. Loved that. Bad news, good news. 
Carry your own burden. Yep. Thank you, Steve. I love Steve. I, you, Steve Peterson, Peters, man, you guys got to follow him. He's on here. He's amazing. My mom interviewed him in 1985, 1986, um, and he was an openly gay minister with AIDS, and he still is. Amen. And uh, hopefully he'll become speaking for us really soon. All right, I'm going to read one more, and this looks like a really nice one. Uh, Beth Mills, first of all, is was my one of my bodyguards and my sister's bodyguard, and she's really amazing and um, is like family to me. And um, you guys should follow her and get to know her. She's really great. Um, she goes, wow, good stuff about the burden and loads. So often we carry our own loads, which is why everything you're saying is needed. Oh, thank you, Beth. I love you. Um, I love the long, crazy, insane life I've got to live and the beautiful people I've got to meet along the way. And uh, I wouldn't trade all the downs for the ups. I just would live the way I've lived. And I'm glad that I've come to a place where I can accept that. Someone asked, isn't that joy, or commented, to feel comfort in your own skin? Took me a long time, but for the most part, I'm there now. Amen. I wish I could find a pastor like you down in L.A. I'll probably go back to church. Well, thank you, Patricia. We are still going to be here online, though, for you. And getting to meet some of these folks online are so good. All right, everybody. I love you so much. Um, sorry I didn't get to read all your, your comments, but we will uh, You continue to talk to each other. I love you a lot. Thanks for listening. And um, remember, Caleb is at home sick with a bad tummy. So keep him in your thoughts and prayers. Send him some good text messages and um, all that. Love you guys. See you next week. Bye-bye. Our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Thank <laughs> you.